This is the After Hours Director's Spotlight, presented by Amro Music. It's the podcast where we chat with music educators to celebrate the joy of teaching music and learn about strategies for success. In this episode, Nick Averwater talks with Michaela Littleton, Director of Bands at Mill Creek Middle School in Nolensville, Tennessee. It's part of the Williamson County School System, which is just south of Nashville. You may recall that the previous two episodes of the podcast featured the high school band director from Nolensville, Benjamin Easley. This week, Michaela will talk about her early influences that encouraged her to become a music educator, some of the lessons she's learned in her four years of teaching, and much more. Our conversation was recorded July 29th, 2022. It's broken up into two episodes, and this is part one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After Hours Conversations for Music Educators. I'm excited today to sit down and do a director spotlight with Miss Michaela Littleton. Michaela, it's so good to see you. Hey, Nick. It's good to see you, too. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you here. Now, for our listeners, if you don't know Michaela, she's the director of bands at Mill Creek Middle School, which is just south of Nashville there in the growing suburbs that is southern Nashville and Middle Tennessee. But Michaela, for our listeners that may not know you, we would just love to hear a little bit about your musical history. What brought you to Mill Creek? Uh, Who inspired you along the way? And perhaps more importantly, how do you try to emulate those educators in your teaching today? Absolutely. Well, I grew up in Michigan, and I moved in the eighth grade. And that's an important part of my story because I started band in Michigan, and when I was told that my family was moving to Tennessee, I thought my life was over. I mean, the typical eighth grade girl kind of... I just didn't have a vision for anything besides what I grew up with. So I moved to Tennessee, and I immediately joined the Franklin High School Band. That's where I was zoned to go. And they had mini camp, their kind of pre-band camp in May. And so I did that right after I moved to Tennessee, and that really shaped my experience. Um, My experience through the Franklin High School Band, and David Adelet was my band director. He has been a big influence on me. In my past, I went through the Franklin High School Band, and then I went to MTSU. Um, I graduated from MTSU and then taught for a year in Rutherford County, and then I have the privilege of now teaching in Williamson County at Mill Creek Middle. Um, Like I said, David Adelet is a huge mentor of mine. He was my high school band director, and then after I graduated, when I was in college, um, young in college, he let me come back and teach at Franklin when I, to be honest, did not have a lot of business teaching. And he taught me how to be a teacher. So he has really um, inspired a lot of what I do. And one of the things that I really love about David is that he continues to grow. So he's not the same educator that I knew in 2011 whenever I was a freshman in the Franklin High School Band. He's continued to grow and to change. And so that's been something that is really cool to see that he gets to change and that I get to change too. Um, I had a great student teaching experience. I got to student teach with Susan Waters at Oliver Middle at the time and Alexis Derryberry at Las Casas Elementary at the time. And those two women, I had fantastic student teaching experiences. Susan was so kind uh, to show me so many things. Um, She gave me the opportunity to 
run my own beginning band concert. She made me repair instruments left and right and all these skills that I use nowadays. Um, and Alexis was, um, she has been such a mentor to me post college. Um, both of those women have also inspired me and are mentors to me as well. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I've had the privilege of having David and Alexis both on the show and you're so right about David. You know, one of the things that I just remember walking away is, is this a guy, this is a guy that's completely comfortable with the fact that he's a work in progress. Like we very openly talked about the books that he's reading and how he's trying to apply it to his band and the reflection component and everything that he does to kind of continue evolving as an educator. And so I can definitely see where he'd be such a great mentor and haven't had the opportunity to meet Susan, but of course I know Alexis, uh, she just wrapped up her tenure as the president of the Tennessee MEA and just what an unbelievable person. So can just tell you've had some really great educators that have uh, kind of poured back into you. And I'm really excited to unpack because this is now starting, which year for you, Michaela? Year four. Year four. And so I'm really excited about this conversation. You might be perhaps one of our one of our younger uh, educators to have for a director spotlight, but I'm really excited to have you on particularly um, because you're doing a such an awesome job at Mill Creek, but we have so many young listeners who are either just starting out in their careers or who are still in college and planning to be a music educator. And so what I'd love to do with you today is a little bit different flavor and perhaps just reflect back on your early years of teaching and unpack and share some of the lessons learned and, and how that's changed for you. So let's just, let's perhaps dive into that. And these are going to be just kind of, I've I've just kind of got some ping pong questions, but I would love to see how the direction takes us. Reflecting back on your early year or your early years, what were some of the early mistakes that you made in teaching and how has that changed the way you continue to teach today? Well, when I started teaching, I was a high school band director. So I got a job before I graduated college And I started going over there in April and May for pre-camp for band camp. By the time I got to August, I really wished I could go back and do my undergrad again. I felt like I had kind of put the emphasis on the wrong thing. I always was concerned about ensemble placements and all this other stuff. And by the time I got to August of my first year teaching, I wished I could do it all again so I could concentrate more on the things that currently mattered to me. In that first year teaching, there were a lot of mistakes. Um, In the fall semester, I concentrated a lot on getting stuff done. And I wish, I, I felt a little bit left out being an assistant band director. And the kids loved the head band director and the kids loved the band director before me. And so I concentrated really hard on that freshman class. And I felt a little bit left out by the sophomores, the juniors and the seniors. And I kind of just let it be. And I wish I would have concentrated less on the tasks and more on those students um, because I only ended up having one year with them. And I wish I would have started that earlier. Some of them I will know those students forever and I will treasure those relationships. And I was told to concentrate on that early class. It was some advice I got from my mentors and I did, but I really wish I would have concentrated on the relationships of the older students. Um, I also had a lot of opinions that I was very solid in. And I do think whenever you're dealing with students, like you have to know what you're talking about and you have to believe what you're talking about. But Graduating from college, 
not everything that I thought I knew was 100% right. So I had some diehard opinions that have since died away. Well, those are, those are two really great examples. Back to your first one. So I, I, I kind of love the advice that was given, right? And it makes perfect sense because, as you mentioned, the, the person that you were teaching with was beloved. The previous educator was beloved. And so it, it can be easy to say, well, focus on the group that doesn't know you because then you can be yourself. But it sounds like you kind of missed – you felt like you missed that opportunity. So I guess how would you have gone about – if you could have gone about doing that, you know – what, what would you have done, done differently specifically there other than just build relationships with the sophomores, juniors, and seniors? Do you have any things that you recollect back on and think, I, I missed an opportunity and it was right there in front of me. I just didn't know it. Particularly with my time. Um, whenever there was an option, I would choose a younger student. I mean, the way time is the only resource that we don't have more of. Um, I wish that I would have spent more time with those older students and I wish that I would have, um, I wish that I would have worked with them as a young educator. I worried about being buddy, buddy and about seeming like a friend. And I think I took it a little bit too far. I wish I would have taken the opportunity to work alongside, especially like the leadership, the seniors, the older students to move things with them and to talk with them and to cut out drill sheets and in the minutiae, getting to know them as people. I was very worried about being set apart as a director. And I think that got in my way. Yeah. And that's certainly an interesting pendulum, right? Because you have to have some level of disconnect. And I don't mean disconnect as in like, you know, impersonable, but disconnect in the fact that, you know, at the time you were what, 22, 23, a recent graduate, and you had people who were only a couple of years younger than you, right? The the disconnect in age was not that great. And so, you know, that's an interesting pendulum because swing too far one direction and, and, you know, we have to be really careful in those instances. And we hear horror stories about where the pendulum swings too far one direction, but in this case, it can swing too far the other direction. And I kind of hear you reflecting on that. It's a difficult balance. And the thing about mistakes that I made in the past is that I did the best with the information I had at the time. So each mistake that I made, I did what I thought was going to be right for me and right for the students. And then I was able to say, oh, that's not working, and then change it. And in many cases, I would change it and it might still not work. And I would go back. A lot of my mistakes weren't made out of malicious intent, but just made not. out of ignorance. And the hard part about that is that it's hard to go back and give myself advice because if I had the advice, then I wouldn't have made that mistake. And because I made that mistake, I'm here now. Yeah. And so it's kind of a cycle. Um, I don't know. So that, that, 21-year-old educator that got the high school, the big high school band job she was so excited about, you know, made that choice. And because of that, my students now in my fourth year of teaching, if a student comes in my band room, I make a conscious effort to drop whatever I'm doing and try to talk to them um, because there are relationships that I missed out on. And I want to give my students the time that I have with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know, kind of in, in continuing that theme of advice, you know, 
What advice would you give a young educator just graduated out to kind of maintain that professional component um, to ensure that, I mean, because you do have to have the respect of your students, right? Particularly if you're teaching in a high school where some of the students might be taller than you, bigger than you, whatever it might be. You know, what advice would you give those educators just getting ready to start out and you're thinking, hey, let me let me help prepare you so you don't step on this land landmine? Uh, the first thing would be to grow thick skin. I was told okay. yesterday that somebody thought I was a student, and it just can't bother me anymore. I've heard it too many times, um, and it's both because I'm a little shorter and I blend in, and because if we're doing marching band, I've got my hair in a ponytail, I'm not wearing makeup, I'm wearing athletic shorts and a t-shirt, I look like the high school girls, and I understand that. Um, my advice to a young educator would be thick skin, let it roll off your back and then be visible, be visible. So introduce yourself, make sure that the parents know who you are. Um, the worst thing that can happen is that you are coming up to a parent team or an administrative team or a fellow teacher and they're like, I'm sorry, uh, where's your pass? Or I'm sorry, like, aren't you supposed to be with the other students? You want to be visible and, um, that's my favorite thing is if someone's like questioning like who I am, am I supposed to be there? It's like, oh, hi, you don't know me. My name is Michaela Littleton and I'm the band director. It is so good to meet you. And just like spitting that on its head because you could come in it really negative and you could be like, oh, I am a teacher. Don't talk to me this way. Um, and you just spin it in a different way. Like, hey, it's so good to meet you. You must not know me yet. Um, and I'm so excited to be here. So be visible. I do think what you wear is important. I took the way that I dressed to a very professional level whenever I was teaching high school. I continue to do that at the middle school level, but I have relaxed a little bit as I have gotten more comfortable in my own skin. Um, and in being the educator that looks young and I also have an administrative team that sees the value in what I have to offer and they are growing me and they are working with me and they love that I'm young and excited about band. Yeah, really love that. Now, you, you mentioned a little bit too about kind of how if you could go back in college, you would perhaps look at certain things through a different lens. And I hear that a lot too, and I would love to continue to unpack that with you. And, you know, when I speak with college classes, I'm really, I make it a point to say, hey, look, don't stop playing because I think that's such an important part for musicians. And so I don't want this conversation to come back and say, well, Nick doesn't value the performance piece because that's certainly not it. But what were some of the other classes or some of the topics that you think, ooh, if I could go back, I would probably be a lot more attentive or I would be listening or I would be asking a lot more questions while this was going on. I just didn't know to appreciate it at the time. Oh, absolutely. So many things. Well, the undergraduate schedule is so difficult because most places where you go for a music ed degree, you are taking insane course loads. You're taking these zero credit hour courses where you are attending a class. You are working hard for what is on paper, no credit hours. And so the schedule is, is insane. And music education institutions do a, and the best job they possibly can to put as much meat in the curriculum as they can. And 
I agree with you. I agree with the performance. You've got to keep playing. Performance is really important. I was in a boat where I saw the performance majors and I had more classes than them. Um, and I had more responsibilities in the college of ed with uh, practicum student teaching. And I still wanted to try to compete, um, in like playing wise with those students. Mm. And that was something that um, I'm, I mean, I'm competitive, I'm type A, and I just was, I wanted to be the best. And I was trying to do that off of their standard rather than my own, which was in music education. Um, my techniques classes, I don't know what they call them, other places, uh, methods, courses, where yeah. you learn to play other instruments. A lot of those were offered at 8 a.m., which is unfortunate. Um, but those classes were like so they they were so valuable and yet I did not appreciate them. It was fun to hang out with my friends. I remember in those classes and it was fun to play other instruments especially as you were playing the clarinet as, you know, a college sophomore and so you were not sounding like a 6th grader. I mean, maybe your tone was, but like you can read rhythms and it was fun. But I didn't internalize that information from those methods courses. Um, particularly the woodwinds course was one of the first ones that I took clarinet and saxophone. And I think that all of that information left my brain and I had to relearn that in my student teaching. And I, Susan Waters was gracious to me to hand me a clarinet and make me play it every day and fix it. Oh, make me fix it whenever it broke. Um, and so I did relearn that information, but saxophone to this day is my weakest tech, it is my weakest instrument. And I take that back to my tech course in the fall of my sophomore year. And that's not on my educational institution. That's on me. Um, as I got further in my experience, I I felt like I was able to concentrate more. Um, but whenever people started talking about money or booster organizations or school rules or the first day of school just felt so far away to me. I was like, if I can just get through juries or if I can just get through finals, if I can get to this, then I'll be okay. And I wish I would have had a longer vision for, you know, someday it's going to be me and 30 kids in a room by myself and I have to teach a general music class. And so I have to figure out what on earth to say to students on the first day of school. The band kids mostly want to be there, but whenever you're a young educator, you've got to teach general music. And that is might be mentioned in your curriculum once or twice, maybe a semester, maybe once or twice total. And I like, that was something that I wish I would have paid more attention to. Yeah. Yeah. I I can only imagine the, the surprise fear. I don't know the exact word, but when, you know, you've signed your contract and you get the first schedule and you're like 30 days out from school and you see these general music classes and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I have to go find a curriculum and figure out what I'm going to do. So that, that's a really interesting insight on, um, Again, and and I don't I don't mean my uh, comments at all to to um, put down one segment. I think every degree that we study in college, mine certainly was too. We have this realization that we graduate and we're like, oh man, there's a lot more to this real world thing than I learned, you know, the last three or four or five years or however long I've been in college. So I just think that's indicative of anything we study in college and and then enter, you know, quote unquote, the real world. So Michaela, you know, now that we're in year four here. 
what is it about teaching that continues to motivate you? I mean, it's a demanding time. It's interesting. You taught one year in not a pandemic, two years in a pandemic, and now one year not in a pandemic, right? So 50% of your teaching career now has been consumed by a pandemic. What is it about this career that continues to fuel you? Oh, what a good question, Nick. Um, I feel like the pandemic aged us all. I feel like that made me made me have to... I had to start making some really tough decisions, particularly as I got a new job in the pandemic. Um, the thing... There are multiple things, but one of the things that motivates me, that makes me want to keep teaching, um, are the, the students, the kids. I consistently call them my kids. And I don't mean that as, as a selfish thing or a possessive thing, but oh my goodness, I love those students. I love the students that I get to be with. And I love it whenever they play in tune on their clarinet or whenever they understand why we do Masters of the Alphabet and then they connect that to scales. And I love it whenever they use alternate B natural and I love it whenever they hit the high C. I love that. But I really love watching the kids vote for band president and them all vote for the kid, not the popular kid, but the kid that really deserves it and that will work hard at it. I really love watching the kids whenever we do our fundraisers. I really like to do experience fundraisers. It's one thing that I I rather would do that than sell something. Um, so with the experience fundraiser, you've got a car wash and they're all at the car wash and I'm watching them hang out and love each other and pour water on each other. And that is so valuable to me. Um, I've got a crew of students that come to my room after school every single day and I kick them out to go home every single day. And I was one of those kids, I was always in the band room, but to have those kids be my kids and they love band and they love each other is awesome. Another thing that keeps me going is uh, my mentors. Um, in Williamson County Schools, uh, Mark Kinzer is the uh, fine arts director, and he is yeah. uh, blazing a path for us, and he has given us new information, and um, he had a book study over the summer where he had all the middle school band directors read this book, and um, I read this book, and I am energized to come into this next school year with more information, and I'm excited to try some new things, um, so he's a really big mentor for me at the moment. It's really exciting to hear about different things happening around and then wanting to emulate that. Um, at the high school, I work at Mill Creek Middle, Benjamin Easley's at Nolensville High School, and they're doing insane things over there with the marching band that I do get to work with and then in their concert ensembles. Their wind ensemble is working really hard and is uh, they're performing at a super high level. But more than that, their concert band and their symphonic band, their second and their third groups are their performance quality is being raised more and more. And so watching Benjamin teach over there and watching those kids that were mine at the middle school go on to succeed, um, that is motivating to me. So Benjamin's a mentor of mine. Like I said earlier, David Adelit's a mentor of mine. To watch them continue to blaze a path makes me feel excited about blazing my own. Yeah. So what's interesting about all your responses there is I have to imagine is that when you graduated, 
those were not any things that you were anticipating, right? Like I, I can't imagine that you graduated and said, I'm going to get into this career because I want to kick kids out of my band room, right? Like that's going to be the thing that keeps me engaged. So it's, it, it's interesting. So how has that evolved? Like why did you become a teacher? What did you think you were going now, and now that we have heard how you continue to stay invigorated today, what did you think was going to invigorate you when you started out teaching in this career? Oh, um, I've always known that I wanted to be a teacher. I was in kindergarten and I wrote in my little bear book that I wanted to be a teacher when I grew up. It was kind of like, what was I going to teach? And when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, Mr. A looked at me and said, you're going to be a band director. And I told him he was crazy because I didn't want to. And now here I am. I um, kind of came around to it junior and senior year through teaching as a section leader. And I discovered that I really, really loved music and I really, really loved teaching and I really, really loved those people. But whenever I started, whenever I was in college, I really thought that I would be fulfilled through results. Um, whenever we were talking, like we would talk amongst friends in college and people would have goals and I'd be like, well, I want to be a band director and I want to go to Grand National Finals and I want to play a Midwest. That's what I want to do. And it was like, this is what I'm going to do for my life is I'm going to have a high school band and I'm going to work really, really hard and they're going to be really, really good. And I thought I would be very motivated by those landmarks. Um, whereas those landmarks they don't seem further away. They just seem more fuzzy. I still care about landmarks. I still care about our concert performance assessment and our solo and ensemble and our Tennessee uh, Music Educators Association Conference. I would really like my band to be able to play there one day. We're not there yet, but I would love to be able to apply and send that recording. That's going to be a landmark for me in the future to feel like I can send that recording. But I don't feel like if I don't send that recording, that nothing I'm doing is working. It was just when I was in college, I was so motivated by the results. I was so motivated by the results that I thought that I would get and the way that I thought that that would make me feel. But mm. the students and the way they work hard can be just as fulfilling as the results. I mean, it was awesome when we got a one at CPA, but the best was coming on the bus. I hid the trophy from them was coming on the bus and saying, guys, I'm so proud of you, da 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 and by the way, we got a one. And then the bus goes, ah, and everyone screams, and they just watching them be excited about band. Yeah. Well, and I, I think this is such an important conversation, right, because I, I hear this a lot, right, and, and a lot of experienced educators have shared with me about the thing that fuels them in this career, because again, this is this is a hard career. Like, I, I mean, obviously, people don't get into music for the money, right? So, and and it's a lot of hours, and it's a hard career. But the people that have it, like yourself and so many people on this podcast, they just have this fire inside of them, right? Like, there is this their why is really clear, and so I think we we have that, and then we can't not acknowledge that. We also have conversations about burnout and not educator or not just music educators, but educators generally, and certainly within the music education community. In my opinion, based on the conversations I've had, is that 
this why for some people continues to evolve, and it certainly has for you, and it allows them to get plugged into something much bigger and longer-term focused than just the things that you mentioned. And Because um, I do see a lot of people that get burned out, and it seems to be really focused on, quite frankly, things that are outside of our control. Like, at the end of the day, the person who determines if we get a one at concert assessment, to a certain extent, is our band it's kind of the adjudicator, you know. Who do we have sitting in the booth listening to us, and what kind of mood are they in that day? Um, so, anyway, I just find it really interesting because you have evolved. Like your why definitely evolved, and as we went through that, it became really apparent that you're plugged into a lot more than just those external factors to fuel you through this career. Yeah, and to be clear, the evolving process was not easy. Part of having mentors and having friends and colleagues is being able to call them and being able to say, this is not okay. I am not happy and this is not okay. And sometimes you just need somebody to listen to you. Sometimes you need somebody to tell you it's not okay. Um, but I, the, the why, my why has evolved through struggles and through yeah. adversity Um, and those mentors, I mean, they give great advice, but they're also like a good shoulder to cry on or a good shoulder to yell at if you're upset. Um, and I think that having those people is really valuable as well. We work really hard as music educators. And I say this, I say this a lot with, you know, my neighbors and people at church, they try really hard to understand what I do. And they absolutely do not. Um, And I'll explain it to them and this and that. And they they try really hard, but they don't really understand what it means to be a band director. Because unless you've done it, unless you're in music, you don't really get it. So those other people that get it um, are a lifeline. That's Michaela Littleton, director of bands at Mill Creek Middle School in Nolensville, Tennessee, talking with Nick Averwater. We'll hear the second part of this conversation on the next episode of the After Hours Director's Spotlight, which is presented by Amro Music, a family-owned company since 1921. At Amro, we work with over 600 schools in eight states to bring the joy of music to thousands of young musicians. And these partnerships make production of the After Hours podcast possible. Our Director Services Department is ready to work with your school, too. Just email alan at amromusic.com or seth at amromusic.com. The After Hours podcast is produced by Nick Averwater, Emily McGee, and Joel Hurd in Memphis, Tennessee. You can hear many more conversations with music educators at amromusic.com slash afterhours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators just like you can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.